Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita, and I'm thrilled by how many times Hugh Jackman says my name in this movie. I'm Ned Baker, and I'm thrilled by any time the music is going bump, 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 and the horses are going like cop, 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 cop with their little hooves in time with the beat. It's a definitive clop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you need a clop sound, the greatest showman can deliver. <laughs> yeah, and it and it happens right at the gate, and then I was like, okay, all right, I'm listening. <laughs> The way this podcast works is that Ned and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love. This is the fourth installment of our Zac Efron series, but it is also an honorary installment in our Hugh Jackman Wears a Top Hat retrospective series. Mm, for the people who've been following along. They know. The, the prestige heads know that this is not our first time we've seen Hugh Jackman in vague turn-of-the-century uh, showman land. But it is the first time that we've seen Zach in that land. We took a brief detour from our Oops All Musicals theme for last week's look at Neighbors, our like frat Efron sidebar. Mm-hmm. But we're back in our comfy, cozy musical territory because nearly a decade after High School Musical and Hairspray, Zach finally made his long-awaited return. The prodigal son came home to the <laughs> musical genre. She'll be back. With 2017's The Greatest Showman, a not at all problematic celebration of famed <laughs> circus performer P.T. Barnum. Okay. And joining us to break it all down, because oh boy, is there a lot to break down, is a very special guest, someone I've literally known since the day she was born. She was my partner in attempting to learn the choreography for not only Ladies' Choice from Hairspray, as referenced on previous episodes, but also... This is me from The Greatest Showman, my sister, Katie Sita. Welcome to the show, Katie. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Long, long-time listener, first-time caller. Happy to be here. <laughs> we're we're we delighted to have you, Katie. I'm super excited uh, about you being on the show this week. Thank you. I'm excited, too. I'm also a little nervous. I don't know why. Why is she? <laughs> me, too. Are you she's going to be mean to you? I'm a loose cannon over here. Or something. I've got all of the secrets. Yeah, what? I don't want Katie to cancel herself on my podcast. You don't want Katie to cancel you on your podcast. That's what you should be worried about. Or that either. Katie, do you remember the choreography from This Is Me? Was it coming back to you as you watched? It was. And I wish that I could be a fly on the wall looking at how bad we looked (laughs) while we were doing it. I couldn't remember which song it was that we learned, but as soon as they got to the like fist bump part, I was like, oh, I'm in it. It was like one, two, three. And there's something where you're shuffling, you're shuffling back your feet and then you're running forward. And then there was a moment where it was like, now improv and just like be your character (laughs) and feel. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably what we were best at. What we kind of stuff improv. would y'all do when you were being your characters? Mm, maybe what a good shimmy. Like? I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love. There's a little bit where they're like they're going through the they're going through the square where the protests are, and they've they're like, they got their hands in their chest and they're kind of mm-hmm. low with the arm. That's that that's a that's a choreographic image that stuck out to me. Did you like learn the whole song? Well, I think as with like Ladies' Choice, our goal was to learn the whole song, but mm-hmm. it turns out that movie musical choreography is incredibly intense. <laughs> it's not like high school musical theater where it's kind of like throw in some step touches and like, you know, a little jazz square and you're done. This is like very intense. So we would get maybe, we would probably spend a good 10 minutes of it, but that would be a really slowed down version of like 
two seconds of choreography mm-hmm. in the final version. Watching it, I think I recognized literally only five moves. I think we got yeah. through five moves. And I, I would say did. ten minutes might be an understatement. I feel like we probably were learning for an hour. <laughs> yeah. I I think you're right, Caroline, that being in musicals in high school really inflated it basically like i was like oh i'm a i'm mainly an actor but i'm a pretty decent dancer too and then you watch a movie like this and i'm like no i'm not (laughs) no i'm really not in some of the behind the scenes footage i was watching zach did say this was far more technically difficult than anything else he's ever done before choreography wise Mm. so maybe it's just a really difficult i would i would buy that this is a this is choreographically ambitious you know in a way that that i'd say you know high school musical is a little more a little more tame Well, maybe let's just start here because, Annette, I want to throw a question to you that I think is almost unfair to throw to you because I don't think I could answer this myself. But as teased previously, you had never seen The Greatest Showman before. True. So what did you think of it? First viewing, honestly, I really loved it. (gasps) Asterisk. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. You need an ass. The asterisk is, is just implied in any commentary about the greatest showman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what you think it is. I'm, I'm, I'm troubled by the historical implications of making this movie, but I think as a self-contained little piece of art, it's like within the borders of the little house it builds for itself. It's like really good. It, it, it. it yeah, it it kind of blew through. I was expecting to just find it really um, bland and clean mm. because I've heard snippets of the music out of context. I've I forgot I'd seen the uh, that staged live performance of what's it called? The titles of the songs. I'm Come, Come alive. Come alive. Um, yeah, this was for people that don't remember, and why would you remember? During <laughs> the 2017 broadcast of a Christmas story live. A musical in the vein of <laughs> Katie made an incredible face. A musical TV broadcast in the vein of like Grease Live or The Sound of Music Live. It was a Christmas story live. And during the commercial break, they had a live staged version of this greatest showman number featuring. I mean, everybody was there. Hugh Jackman, Zach Efron, Zendaya, uh, Keela, is that her name? Keela Settle? I don't know. Keela Settle, yeah. They were all there performing, and it was like a really bizarre... The movie hadn't come out yet, so this was like our first taste of the movie was this weird Gloria Estevan uh, flavored <laughs> circus number. Yes, and I, I, I was not impressed with that song. I mean, I thought it was cute that they did that whole thing. It's like impressive technically, but I was like, it didn't make an impression with me. I don't have any particular relationship to Pasek and Paul, if that's how you say their names. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I expected it to be just sort of like clean and bland. And I would actually say I felt myself much more, uh, animated in my, I don't even, I would say emotionally. It's not that I got so deeply involved in the like actual story, emotional beats, but you just feel energized by so many of those numbers. Like it it becomes almost emotional in the way in which I'm like, oh, oh, I'm amped up. And it, it starts like right at the beginning. And I'm I was I was very impressed with the direction and uh mm-hmm. and execution of this film. Katie, talk us through I mean, did we see this together for the first mm-hmm. time? It came Does out I think mind? at Christmas, Christmas. two thousand seventeen. So yeah. I think we we definitely saw it in theaters together. I think back home in St. Louis. I'm sure our mom came with us and I'm sure our dad did not. <laughs> did not. <laughs> 
Does he stay similar home to cats for musicals? Yeah, there's certain movies that are we all we have. I would say between the four of us, there's different categories we fit into categories of eh? what we <laughs> will watch. <laughs> and the musical three. category is definitely a Katie Caroline mom category. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So what's a what's a four quadrant? What's a tent pole in the sense that all four seat is like mostly superheroes and mm-hmm. action, maybe yeah. and Great British Bake Off. And Great British Bake Off. Great. And like a Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. Mm. One of your favorite We're films. We're big Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle family. <laughs> Mainly just Jumanji. <laughs> wow, I didn't. I knew that you were a big Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle uh, human, Caroline, but I didn't know there was all four of you. That's Wait, I well, you the rest are of the a big, family in. You converted me because I thought it looked really, really bad. Yeah. And you were like, no, I promise it's good. And I did really enjoy it. So. And then all four of us went to see the sequel in theaters together. <laughs> Great. Katie, here's my memory of Greatest Showman beyond mm-hmm. learning the choreo. Mm-hmm. You and I would just – we went to see it together. Mm-hmm. But then if we were seeing any other movie, once that movie was over, we would just go into a theater that was playing The Greatest Showman and sit down and watch mm-hmm. a couple songs and then, like, get up and leave. I also have this memory, but I remember that happening once and the way you've described <laughs> it sounds like we did that, like, ten times. <laughs> okay, well, then maybe you and I only did it once because I continued to do it once I went back to Chicago – after the mm. holidays and i remember because the one and only time i've tried to do a double feature and an usher has come up and been like are you supposed to be here was while i was sneaking into the greatest showman, the greatest showman. <laughs> and they're like why don't you just buy a ticket you're like i've bought so many i've seen it so well many i times. just handed them my ticket for the movie i had previously seen and just they were just kind of like, oh, okay, you have a ticket. And I was like, great. Wow. I remember standing in the little kind of entryway. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm making this up, but I feel like this is us. This is us. This is me. Came on and we did our little dance alone in the little <laughs> entryway. Ooh. I don't care if that story's true. It's true in my mind. We have to That's believe too it. Cute. Let's believe in it. And you might have given me the DVD. I own the DVD of this movie and I feel like you probably gave it to me for the Christmas the next year. That could be. Does mm. that sound right? I have no memory of this, but I believe it. <laughs> it sounds right to me. Well, what is your, what is your, like, obviously we saw it and enjoyed it, but what is your relationship to The Greatest Showman and how did it hold up on a rewatch for you? I feel like my overall take is the highs are very high, the lows are very low. Mm-hmm. I would say good music, especially considering it's all original. Other than Come Alive, I really hate that song. Um, That's the one Ned doesn't like either. No, I do like it. I just didn't like it live. Oh. No, I don't like it. Um, I would say on a rewatch, I really enjoyed it, but I found like – at times I was like, what is actually the story of this movie (laughs) or are things just happening? And that was one of my takes. But I, I mean, I enjoyed it. And I will say I've been listening to the soundtrack all week on my commute to work. So it says something, I guess. I tend to think that when the songs are happening during this movie, I'm like, this is the best movie that has ever been made. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into a dialogue scene. And I think this is the worst movie that has <laughs> ever been made. Yeah. It, it is one of the few movies on Letterboxd that I have just given no rating to because I'm like, there is no... There is no amount of stars that could sum up my feelings about this film. It is simultaneously the best thing and the worst thing that's ever happened. Some of the some of the cinematography, I'm like, is this a beautiful Oscar worthy mm-hmm. movie? Mm-hmm. And then something else happens. The the little CG 
horses come by, and I think, <laughs> wait, did this cost Don't five insult men's horses? Wait. <laughs> what the fuck are you saying? Yeah, there's a lot of weird it's, CG stuff in here. It's the CG I lions like and elephants, I think, are the real problem. I think I like the CG, and I usually am a CG hater, but I think there's just something about like just what they're doing with it that a lot of times is effective in here. I mean, the, okay, the lions and elephants are a little a little silly, but like you're so visually overstimulated in those moments. Like I didn't even process until rewatching that there were CG lions and elephants. I'm like, there's a million <laughs> things happening on screen right now. There's fire and acrobats and uh, for yeah, the million so, dreams they're gonna make. Yeah, well, exactly like that. I was reading some Entertainment Weekly retrospective that referred to this movie as Kids Bop Boz Lerman, <laughs> which I found so funny. Boz Lerman of Moulin Rouge, most famously, and The Great Gatsby and Elvis, just like full maximalist, but in a very sort of intentional, auteurish way. And I do think Greatest Showman is aiming for that energy, but hitting in a, like, Kids Bop is not a wrong comparison to make. There is something that I, I keep just describing it as, like, clean, you know? It's like... Yes. It's, well, it's a PG family movie. Mm-hmm. And that's a little... That's the energy they're sort of... That's driving it, I think. And I think... I just mean in all ways, it's like... Like, if you compare it... I think, like, if you compare it to a scene from Moulin Rouge or, like, Romeo plus Juliet, like, the party scene from that, like, they... Those things are, like, are... I think there's CG in... There's certainly some CG in... uh in Moulin Rouge in like a goofy way but like there is a kind of a like animal unhinged a tawdriness a tawdriness but I'm, it's it's also just the, like the filmmaking style it's not just about like like suggestive versus not suggestive there is something that's like just feels like making a crazy movie on film in a way where this feels a lot more like everything is like produced within an inch of its life like very meticulous and the precision I think is actually a strength of this movie but it does cause it to not have some of that like authentic spark i feel like i try mm-hmm. to express this idea a lot and i'm unable to but there's something that feels uh uh raw and um impulsive that you get in some movies that i would say is not something you get here no, I think you're totally on to something because the director, Michael Gracie, this was actually his first, and I think maybe so far, only feature, and he comes from commercials and music videos. And I think this is a movie that very much feels like both a commercial and a music video, <laughs> yeah. you know, even more so than it does a movie. And that's some of that cleanness you're But I feel about. like what works best are the moments that are, even if they're very choreographed they're smaller in some way like by far i would say my top song and scenes is the other side Mm. and like yes it's very choreographed but it's like a simpler set like not as much going on in the background and like i think that's what works best rather than having like 10 cg elephants and Mm -hmm. and they do this thing where it's like each musical number does feel super distinct. And even the way the cinematography is and the way the choreography is and the literally the way the song sounds, it's not like let's create a cohesive musical where everything fits together. It's like let's make nine amazing music videos that are vaguely mm-hmm. related to the same theme mm-hmm. and put them together. And that maybe is like both a good and a bad thing about it. Yeah. And I- I'll say that 
in the other side, even though, like, as you say, it's there's a lot of choreography, there's a lot of camera movement, like, you get to see the acting all the way through that mm-hmm. scene. Like, all three of them, including the bartender who, it's like, it's like how I always say, like, when you watch Tangled, you should just watch Pascal the whole time because he's got his own story in the background. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same thing, the bartender is, like, doing stuff the whole time. He's great. That. Yeah, he's great. Um, but all three of them are, like, acting through that. And in other scenes, I think it's in Come Alive, there's little moments... There's just little, like, they, they do have little good acting moments in there, little cuts to, like, I think the whole thing is, like, very, like, precisely, like, directed and cut to, like, see, mm-hmm. we're looking here at this moment, on this sting, we're going to be looking at this exact thing. And just, I just like this little, like, look that's exchanged between, like, a kid in the audience and the world's heaviest man who, like, the kid, the kid on yeah. crutches in the audience is kind of, like, looks hopeful and the world heaviest man kind of sees him and like realizes that they're doing something for this kid and then he like takes on this this like you know look of pride in what he's doing and little moments like that sell what i think this movie is trying to trying to emotionally do better than being told like oh we this is me yeah exactly exactly <laughs> better than like the lyrics of this is me like those, you know, the the, the, the the lyrics of that could just be, you know, Roar or um, whatever the Cerebrella song yeah. that sounds exactly like Roar is. I want to see you be brave. Yeah, exactly. Do it's you this, ever feel like a plastic bag? Yeah, it's the, same, it's the same as those things. But then you have these little acting moments which like give the soul to it. And I do think like the whole ensemble, a lot of the ensemble gets those little moments in a way that actually invests me. I was just very cynical about the like, Oh, yeah, everybody comes in all shapes and sizes. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be, like, fake. Oh, you mean when the critic literally turns to P.T. Barnum <laughs> and is like, actually, even though I wrote a bad review, I think that really your show is a celebration of the diversity of the human spirit. And it's, there is no nobler path in life than creating a freak show. Yeah, so yeah, can we have a breakdown of that critic? What was happening with him? And why did it look like he was wearing a disguise? <laughs> He looked like Christian Bale in the prestige when he's the he uncle. does look like he does look like the weird disguises Fallon. that they wear when they're doing like magician pranks on each other. Yeah, that's true. Um he I like that actor Paul Sparks. He just kinda always plays like shitty guys and little things. I liked him in uh in Boardwalk Empire. So I was like happy to see him here, but he does kind of look like he's yeah, I think you said it well. He looks like he's wearing a nineteenth century <laughs> disguise. Um I like that little runner. It's a little it's a little dopey. But I think that he and Hugh Jackman have chemistry, particularly when they're like when he's I think it's like after the opera performance and he's just like insulting Hugh and Hugh's doing his like his laughing like, Man, fuck mm-hmm. you, dude. That's like the most prestige energy that Hugh brings mm-hmm. to the movie, I think. Yes. Okay, before I forget to say this, uh-huh. the bartender in on in the other side mm-hmm. is the choreographer of the number. <gasps> oh, he is wow. a man who only goes by the name Cloud. What? Cloud? I believe Australian. The director is also Australian, and I think he's an Australian choreographer. And so he choreographed the number and then obviously was in it as well. And I believe he he like conceptualized a lot of the visuals of my favorite song, Rewrite the Stars, like all the sort Another of aerial stuff is also wow. – Cloud's creation. That's got to be the best fun fact we're going to learn today. I love that. (laughs) I like the idea that those two songs are his, like, signature because, like, they 
are the two love songs. Yeah, and they just use like they use space and bodies in a really interesting way. Like a lot of the I enjoy the numbers that like just throw a lot at you. Like here's your whole ensemble of the like the ten oddities, is that what they call them in the listing? Mm-hmm, so they, they don't do. say freaks. Um just sort of like equivocating with the whole project. But uh but yeah, the like a lot of things are just very in your face, but those two numbers like they just use I don't know, like motion and levels and expressions and bodies really well and height and standing on things and climbing on things and holding on to stuff. And yeah, cloud way to go cloud. Great work all around behind and in front of the cloud. Yeah, those two numbers are definitely the scenes that I would rewatch anytime. Yeah. And I frequent probably my two most watched videos on YouTube are rewrite the stars from the greatest showman. And can I have this dance from high school musical three? <laughs> kind go. of. Yeah. The same. You have yeah, a theme. Very same. I also found I was watching some of the behind the scenes on the DVD that Katie may or may not have given to me. <laughs> and there was a part where Zach said falling in love in a musical number on camera is one of my favorite things to do in the world. <laughs> wow. That's really sweet. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? That is really Here's my sweet. question for both of you. Who has better chemistry, Zach and Zendaya or Zach and Hugh Jackman? Zach and Hugh Jackman. I I mean, throughout the whole thing, it's like, is Barnum in love with Carlisle? Like what? Yeah. I mean, they have a meet cute at the ballet, uh-huh. opera, wherever they are, from across the room. Mm-hmm. He literally pulls him out of a burning building, holding him. <laughs> when he carries his like limp body out of there, like you think Carlisle's gonna save Zendaya? Yeah, and no, it's the, it's his true love. The part in the other side where he where Zach friends, he's like, okay, well, I'm annoyed with you. I'm gonna go leave, and then nothing stops him. He just turns around and starts talking <laughs> to him again. I'm like electric, truly electric. I mean, I I like Zendaya and Carlisle, but I feel like theirs is a little less developed it just kind of all of a sudden as i rewrite the Mm. stars it's a bit of a question mark like what the bond between them is based on that they're good people okay well carlisle and barnum are bad people based on their love of money (laughs) that's true and that's a stronger bond i like this take whenever i watch the other side i'm like there could be no people that have better chemistry than than Hugh and Zach, but then th- that song ends with him sort of making eye contact with Zendaya for the first time in yeah. her slow motion move, and then I'm like, wait, I'm so invested in this. I think Rewrite the Stars might be the most romantic, just like shit ever piece of cinema yeah. that has ever been. Can we talk about her created beautiful messy curly hair and her cute little like trapeze outfit? Her workout outfit, I love it. Yeah. Her workout outfit's amazing. Her hair's amazing. The choreography is so good. The part where she's just kind of spinning on the rope, but it's like she's walking. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's like walking. Yeah, she says like, I want to cry when I think about it. It's so beautiful. I love when he, she's on the ring and it's lifting and he holds on and he just like lifts off the Mm -hmm. ground and he lets one hand go and is holding on by one hand. Oh my God. And then you see him from below and then his like, his fingers like slip off. And he does this like very sexy like drop and then recover and like mm-hmm. with her not being counterweighted, she like flies up into the air. Mm-hmm. That shit rules. And then he grabs the rope and he like gets pulled up by the yes. rope a little bit yes. to land back. Oh on his yeah, feet. that fucking moment is awesome. That's after they like roll. Yeah, when he he does that little like false jump. Oh, it's so yeah, good. Yeah, the, the trapeze. It's not trapeze. Whatever it is, span. It's I, I, I aerial. Ropes. I guess. Yeah, there's a name for 
I just like we went to school with all these like circusy people who are gonna be like, "That's a Spanish web, you fucking morons." <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we literally did take circus classes as part of our curriculum. Yeah, but I don't know what it's called, what they're doing in that. They're probably doing like yeah. four different things. Anyway, the choreography, the aerial choreography, is sick. <laughs> I love it. And the lighting, the way it's just this one light from overhead when she first descends on, she's on the hoop, and her little legs are sort of. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like almost like she's swimming and she's coming down. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. Yeah. The only part in that that bothers me is when he he climbs up the balcony, which I'm very like into that. Mm-hmm. And then he jumps onto her and I think that would like rip her wrists off. <laughs> okay, I feel like. okay, Katie, I watched it again. I was looking for the exact same thing. I knew it was coming and I was like, hang on, isn't he going to pull her arm like out of its socket? But he grabs the rope also. I don't buy it. Okay. Well, <laughs> he would still <laughs> probably like, does seem like knock her, like knock the wind out of her system at least and probably throw them off. But it's love. Have you seen the behind the scenes little video of them crashing into each other? No, that sounds great. So it's the part where they both like swing opposite each other and come in and then do like a tight little spin together. Yeah, great, great move. And so it's a video of them doing that, but they just smack straight into each other body slam style. Amazing. <laughs> it's very cute. The, uh, Zach and Zendaya do both speak like super highly of each other. Oh. I feel like we're I'm really re- discovering a pattern of just like Zach's co-stars and kind of his female co-stars in particular just being very – just like speaking so highly of him and what a nice partner he is and that they would both always just check in with each other about, you know – how it was going and the safety of it all and that Michael Gracie the director sort of really credits Zach with helping to push the project forward like that Zach was very passionate about it would speak to studio execs about it and I think there is an I think there was an earnestness to the behind the scenes creation of this movie that sort of feeds into the earnestness of the whatever found family thing that they're trying Mm -hmm. to do yeah and I think, like, we've sort of come back to that a couple times with Zach being, like, the, like, sort of good behind-the-scenes energy that he brings here. Like, this goes along with my, like, prevailing theory that, like, people know who they're seeing, like, all the time. Like, we never forget who we're seeing. I mean, maybe some people do. But it's why, like, watching a Johnny Depp movie now is just not as fun. Because I'm like, I cannot stop knowing, like, who this guy is and what he does. And, like, with Zach, you get that, I think, warm, positive energy. All the behind the scenes stuff that I have seen, which is not clearly as much as either of you, but like, it's just so clear that like the people were so excited to make this movie and so excited about telling the story that like, that honestly does help overcome some of the misgivings I have about the story. (laughs) I found a quote from Zach. This, I couldn't believe this when I read this, Ned, but he said, that he had always wanted to work with Michael Gracie, the director. And the quote is, I thought if there was any way I could add value or help him accomplish this movie, then I wanted to. And I was like, is Neighbors to Zach, whose sole goal in that movie is to be of value to people, is that, was that like a Zach thing? Maybe. (laughs) Like the idea of Zach just being like, how can I be of value to the greatest showman is so funny to me. That's really cute. Katie, can you talk us through your general... Zach story, your general mm-hmm. relationship to Zach. I would love to. Um, as a 90s baby, my introduction to Zach, like most, um, was High School Musical. I do believe I saw the third one 
in theaters, and I do believe I was in high school. Yeah, you were. Um, so that was definitely my introduction. I would say, like, I had a positive experience with him. <laughs> um, you were probably slightly more age appropriate to be watching the high school musical. Yeah. Like if I was sort of 16, you were probably 13, which makes more sense mm-hmm. to have been watching Disney Channel. I mean, even 13, I feel like, is is pushing it. Like, I feel like my relationship with High School Musical was still, like, I'm kind of making fun of it. I'm a little old mm-hmm. and cool. 13 is a great age to, like, reject kid shit. Mm-hmm. I definitely followed Zach through, like, Charlie St. Cloud. Have you seen Charlie St. Cloud? Oh, I sure have. <gasps> you could tell Ned and I haven't seen it. Do you How want a spoiler it? alert? Yeah. I'm, sure. I think it's all about his brother being dead, but he's seeing him. Whoa. Like, you learn. It's like a twist. It's like. The Sixth Sense, but Ghost Brother? But for wow. Zach. <laughs> Zach's brother. <laughs> like his little brother dies and it's him grieving it. Hmm. Um, not good. <laughs> um, I would say like I have missed some of Zach's more current movies, but mm-hmm. I would still associate him with like, oh, that would be a reason I would see one of his movies. I have seen some of his weird Netflix show and I – Kind of enjoy it. It's oh, weird. The outdoor. Mm-hmm. I watched them with our parents, um, bringing it back to the family. <laughs> um, it's kind of fun. It's like he goes somewhere, like a different country, and kind of learns or experiences a different thing within that country. What's so it, it could be. What's it called? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm, no one knows. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you just find it on Netflix and click on it. Uh-huh. Um, I'll look it up like as you. Brigadoon, you just stumble upon it. Keep filling us in on your yeah. Zach. So yeah, I don't know. I guess I I feel like he seems like a good good guy. Okay, the show is called Down to Earth with Zach Efron. Although I believe he might also have multiple shows, so that could just be one of them. He was them. definitely promoting. I I recently watched his Hot Ones interview, which has been discussed on some of these previous. Podcasts. I love so, Hot Ones. Yeah, Zach Efron's Hot Ones is really great. I think like if you're like um, uh, if you're trying to decide if you think he's a nice guy and you want to be pushed towards thinking he's a nice guy, watch the Hot Ones because it's very sweet. And he was definitely promoting something called Killing Zach Efron on that. Which I think maybe was a Quibi yes, it show. It was a Quibi show. He did something oh, I with don't know Quibi. What that is. Yes, it was. Do you know what Quibi is? I don't know what that show is. Okay. Um, I also don't know what Quibi is. <laughs> no really does. I don't know anyone who actually Quibi had was Quibi. a failed attempt to create a streaming platform that was all. It was movie stars and famous people doing it, but it was all super short, like two to three minute videos. Mm-hmm. But you could only watch them on your phone and you could only watch them in sort of like uh, vertically. Yeah, it's like all TikTok for adults. It was like TikTok for adults and it utterly failed and then TikTok (laughs) became popular. Because we already have TikTok and I mean, we we didn't, I guess we didn't at the time, but we had Instagram and Vine and shit. And it was like, what, what, you want me to pay for basically like TikToks made by famous people? So yeah, it was a pretty failed experiment but i guess zach got out of the quibi business and into the netflix business he, didn't, he wasn't derailed by it he sat there in the ruins of quibi and said like i don't know if i can ever rebuild and someone said you just don't get it do you zach that's a reference <laughs> to this movie sorry <laughs> i do think that this movie in addition to returning zach to the musical genre is also returning to a lot of the themes we have been picking up mm-hmm. on throughout his career 
the number one being the thing I'm most invested in, Zach in a socially unacceptable romance Mm -hmm. where he is breaking the boundaries to be with someone. In this case, Zendaya. And the theme that I'm constantly talking about, which is Zach uh, grappling with entitlement and privilege. Yes, yes, 100%. And what Zach himself has cited, which is that he likes to play characters that are sort of showing someone a good moral path. Mm. And that the arc of Carlisle is about, you know, learning to be a good person by the end. Can we talk about our favorite Zach moment in the movie? Yeah. Please. I'll go first. I'm already ready. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite Zach moment in the movie is when he's holding Zendaya's hand in the opera, the singer scene. And then he feels uncomfortable because the fancy white people are looking at him. So he lets go of her hand. And then she's like upset and leaves and he just stares forward and you see his sadness inside of him and he just like can't look at her. And that was my favorite Zach acting moment in The Greatest Showman. Yeah, it's a good moment. He is doing, he is delivering, he and Zendaya both, Mm because we need to talk about Mm -hmm. Zendaya too. They are delivering maximum pathos with minimum. And, you said and minimum it. Minimum dialogue, minimum There's character. There's so little material descriptions. there. But they, they, they invest it with, with pathos. Uh, my favorite Zach moment in the movie is a, is a comical one, which is um, a return of something that I talked about in previous episodes, which is Zach's like, whoa, what's going on here, face? Which he does. <laughs> you s- that was a really good impression on our Zoom Thank report. you. You see it kind of Mrs. Robinson style through Hugh's legs in to the other side when... Right when mm-hmm. Hugh jumps up onto the table, maybe I can pull this video and make a gif of it to stick on our Twitter. Because it's just like Hugh's legs go up and Zach is sitting on the bar with this like, what are you doing, man? Like, look, and it's uh, that just made me. I, I it, it, it like called back to moments I've enjoyed before and in and of itself, it made me chuckle. Wow. I'm like getting a panic attack thinking about just having to pick one. I think There's I know so yours for you. Don't worry, Caroline. Katie's picked yours. <laughs> Oh my god! Okay, now I'm even more anxious. Okay, yours, I would say, I, yeah, say yours, and I'll tell you if you're right or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was gonna do some honorable mentions, but I'll just start with the main pick. I actually think it's probably in the other side. There's a part earlier where Hugh Jackman kind of does this showy, like casual shimmy shake on a line, mm-hmm. and then Zach repeat later on does the line, and he almost like mockingly does the shimmy mm-hmm. shake before then doing a little tap dance move. Oh, it's the like it's the part I gotta play, call back, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm the little dance what. on the bar. Yeah, it's when Hugh's on the bar i think or zach's on the bar definitely when he's doing his little yeah. mocking part of it i had no i think that. it's the little do like you do do like oh that's it. that is I'm what sorry. it is yep and i can do like you do yeah and you do like me but he does it in a very like oh yeah you think you're so cool i'm gonna do copy you and then also do an incredible little tap moment was that what you were thinking of katie that's a great moment but it's incorrect your favorite moment <laughs> is when he slides down in the song on his knees and does a little. Oh my knee god, you're thing. sorry. That is my favorite moment. Like, by I told far. you. <laughs> Which song is this in? When does he slide on his knees? It's at the very end. I actually will cry just thinking about it because again, it's so beautiful. It's when Hugh is sort of like, now Zach, you will inherit the circus. Mm-hmm. 
And then Zach comes running out and he's like, this is the greatest show. And he slides mm. the way Hugh does on his knees. And then he pops up and then it's like him and Zendaya are going to lead the circus and they're dancing together. Also sort of connected the moment where he's doing these, I don't know what they're yeah. called, but it's like spinning, Spin but he's on his knees. knees. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like one knee up, one knee down, like that whole little sequence. You're so right. Thank Katie, that God is. I was here. Thank God you were here. I would have forgotten. <laughs> him coming through with that, this is the greatest show at that moment. It's like, that locks in the finale. That's that's like what musical theater is. You're like, this is why musical theater Can I say exists. something weird about that moment? Did you notice that he has a costume change that he accomplishes by sliding? His no, coat changes. No. He could do it, that though. That more like a continuity it, error. I mean, but so weird that like, it's very weird. He goes from wearing a tail, a red tail coat where it, with a white cravat to wearing a like a coat that has no tails and no neckwear. It's Maybe it's supposed to be actually, if we want to give them credit for not just having a continuity error. It seems intentional. It's big. It could be like a time jump because, you know, mm-hmm. then we're intercutting yeah. between Hugh at the ballet. So it's like one day we see the day where Zach and Zach's passing the baton to Hugh or Hugh's passing the baton to Zach. And then it's like we're cutting to another performance, which is mostly the same, except the costume has been modified. And that's happening while Hugh is yeah. attending his daughter's I think ballet it's show. Like, I think it's like he's the next generation and he doesn't wear the same fashion. He's got kind of more of like a sleek, mm. like, you know, like, you know military style coat on but what's crazy mm-hmm. is that like it literally happens like in a shot like he slides and the tails like disappear watch it again I and mean, he slides yeah. behind someone but watch it mm-hmm. again and wait for i i like rewound it like three times in a row to like try to see if i was misunderstanding and then i'm like oh. no his, his thing changes um the detail something that i think is crazy about this mm-hmm. movie every time i watch it you get to the scene where where Carlisle, where Zach and Hugh are agreeing to be 50-50 partners. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, and now's the point where we reveal that he's like Philip Carlisle Bailey. And this is where Bar- Barnum and Bailey comes from. And it never happens. Yeah. <laughs> that would be Why good. Why would they not make him that Bailey? Would be good. Why would they not make him Bailey? Do it like a Dark Dark Knight Rises style. Oh, whatever. Maybe so- Oh, <laughs> my real name's Robin. Name. Maybe yeah. maybe someone suggested that and Michael Gracie had the reasonable reaction and said, I fucking hate that bit when he says his name is Robin at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you think that that's like too good for the greatest show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they I don't know why they didn't do that. They clearly were like, We've got a story we want to tell. Some parts of the Barnum life align with it, so we're gonna use some historical details to tell this story, but you know, I don't know. They weren't clearly trying to make a historical document here. But then they made they made weird choices trying to align with I mean, you could thing. just stop yeah. the sentence there. They made weird choices. The greatest like showman. The actor, they made the, weird choices. The actor that becomes like the Tom Thumb, I think is his name, uh-huh. in the circus, like didn't they dub his voice to do a deeper voice because the yes, historical figure had a deep voice? Like who cares? It looks crazy having this dubbed voice. The voices. We didn't yes. know that this person's voice was not deep enough. We don't care. Yeah. Yeah, that is strange. The actor that plays Tom Thumb is from New Zealand. And I think they've, I don't know, it's unclear. They phrased it as that they lowered his voice. He's also doing an American accent. It looks like to me as if they just fully redubbed it. It looks like they both made his whole self digital and redubbed it. And it looks very bizarre to me. I I believe from the IMDb trivia that he is dubbed by a completely separate actor and also that he's like digitally shortened. Mm-hmm. Well, he is – so he is 
Short, the actor that plays Tom Thumb, who was in re- a real life person that had dwarfism, like but Tom Thumb was much shorter. Yeah. So the actor that's playing him, who is already short, but he's walking on his knees. And actually, once you know that, whenever you're seeing, he's walking on his knees and then they'll digitally erase the fact, you know, and put the feet in there. But once you know that, Every time you see him move, it becomes so obvious that he is a person walking on his it, knees. Like it does not look like the physics of it just does a not look right. walking. I think they no, it's very. Strange. I think they might have also made his face look younger. Some they did something digital to his face, or maybe with the dubbing. I don't know. But I'm like, you should have just. That's the kind of accuracy you didn't need to worry about, if you ask me. Like, just have an actor be an actor. Yeah, there are so many bizarre choices. One one thing I enjoyed tracing throughout all the behind the scenes documentary was how many different years people said this movie was set in (laughs) like it would be an interview with the costuming person and they'd be like yeah so we're doing turn of the century and then the lighting designer would be like yeah so it's 1850 and then Hugh Jackman would say yeah so it's 1870 Mm -hmm. and so he'd be like it's in the 1880s like there was no (laughs) there is no choices made about when or where this movie is taking place, which I think you can kind of get away with. Like, essentially, all of the events that happen in this movie are various events that happened over, like, 30 years of P.T. Mm -hmm. Barnum's life. There was a period early on in, like, the 1840s when he did the sort of Museum of Curiosities and was working with Tom Thumb and his Fiji mermaid, and he met Queen Victoria. And then there was a period in the 1850s when he was traveling with Jenny Lind, and then it wasn't until, like, the 1870s that he actually came up with the circus idea. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of fine to to take all of those things and cram them into one movie. But then they kind of... They take the, like, the costuming to me looks very turn of the century, like 1900s. And I'm like, okay, that I can buy. And then we get to the scene where they meet Queen Victoria and she's, like, 25 years old. And I'm like, no, you cannot tell me that this movie is set. Sorry if this is just a really annoying, like, (laughs) history major tangent. But you cannot have this movie be set in the early 1900s with electricity and then have Queen Victoria be 25. Like, these are two very distinct time periods. It would be like having a movie set in the 1990s, but JFK is the president. Like, you cannot just take these things and be like, it's all the same. I also hated that whole Queen Victoria bit that that they just went on. That scene is the most... When you said, like... At times you're sitting and being like, does this movie have a plot or do things just happen? <laughs> the whole chapter where they go to England is you're like, I don't know, I guess shit's just happening. Yeah. It's, it's, I hated it. It's a bad, that's that's like kind of the weirdest dialogue. But the whole introduction of Jenny in that scene is weird. The Victoria stuff is weird. The, it's all the, weird. Where she just laughs for so long. <laughs> I would just like, yes. stop. Horrible, <laughs> horrible laughing moment. They're like, and then I everyone else it. laughs and you're like, yeah, very, very That's weird. not how laughter works. Um. Well, maybe the fundamental problem of this movie is that the heart of the movie wants to be this sort of camaraderie of the freak show, the camaraderie of the oddities. Mm -hmm. But the plot of the movie wants to be about P.T. Barnum's life. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much about the camaraderie of the performers as it is 
like the the battle for P.T. Barnum's soul? And is he going to sort of go with the good found family or go with the evil rich people who in this case is represented by a talented opera singer who literally gives all of her money to charity? <laughs> but right. it, it was a real life person who really did that. And this movie just decides actually P.T. Barnum is good. And this woman that gave all her money to charity was an evil temptress who was trying to seduce him. And when he turned her down, she shunned him. Like what a crazy choice. But I think that if if you had like there are other movies that sort of explore this thematic territory of sort of the freak show, right? Like famously the musical sideshow, um, the Todd Browning movie called Freaks, which is like this really cool 1920s pre-code movie. But both of those stories, the central figure of the story is someone that is in the freak show. So like in Sideshow, it's the Siamese twin sisters who are the performers. Um, And in Freaks, it's sort of like looking at the actual performers, like the quote unquote freak performers. But this movie's like, well, they exist, but actually they're all minor characters. And who you really care about here is Barnum. Do we see them really interact with each other ever? No. And none of them really have defining characteristics. They just say, we're a family. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, but I think the thing that makes them work is that like, they're in the musical numbers. And that's the, that's the stuff that Mm -hmm. we like pay attention to. Like, you buy a lot. What's the, okay? So the song where they're at the bar, they're all at the bar, and they do a great dance. From, From now, now on, on. The last yeah, song. the song that I was like, and this is me trying to like when I've just watched it, and I haven't seen. And we will come. Like, it back could be called home, From Now On. We it could will be called Come Back come Home. Back home. It could be called Home, home Again. Home Again. So that scene, by the way, IMO. In my opinion, that scene rocks. The dance in that is yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. I dancing love is very cool. Watching that scene and when he was running so fast, oh yeah, so yeah, fast, yeah, yeah. really fast. Tom Cruise, totally ride. Tom Cruise, running. he catches run. a train, which is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I loved. I I adored that scene. I thought the choreo in it was awesome, and the performance, and like, um, and that scene like sells you on this being a family. They can do that with musical mm-hmm. numbers, but you're right. Like in the dialogue scenes. We move away from that. And I do think it is a little ambivalent about what it wants to be. And it's it's interesting because the movie toys with – it, like, gives you a hint version of, I think, what we would call the actual historical flaws of Barnum. Like, his, his self-aggrandizement, yeah. the way in which he basically, like, sees everyone as, like, an opportunity for his own profit. Um, it toys with those ideas, but it does not make those ideas central to – his actual dramatic arc, which you're right, has more to do with like, I don't know, not not being a good husband and like, yeah, having like weird losing ideas, losing himself to the glamour. Yeah, yeah, you're, and you're right, and it's kind of the way arc. in which the way in which um, they use Jenny Lind, you know, and he that was a, a, you know, that's an example where it's like, yeah, they're taking a historical thing. He did book this person whom he never heard sing and arranged this whole tour with her. But the way they <laughs> just turn this poor woman into a temptress yes. villain. <laughs> she literally did this entire tour in real life and gave all of the money to like orphans and widows. Yes, while they take Barnum and, you know, give him the opposite treatment, basically make him seem like a populist folk hero with sort of some, some hand waves of Letty being like, we're not giving up on you. We believe in you. You gave us a home. You gave us a family, et cetera, et cetera. It's one of those... So, I don't know, should we get, do you want to talk about, like, Barnum history and, like, acknowledge some of the, like, so, basically, like, I think the premise that anybody ever 
like greatly benefited from being an exhibit in a freak show is like highly dubious to me. Um, mm-hmm. And he has this whole, you know, his like, I think some of the commentary online like was about his, one of his first attractions was a slave whom he rented because you couldn't own slaves in New York and Philadelphia, but you could rent them. So he rented this woman and like took her around and exhibited her as George Washington's nursemaid and, mm-hmm. you know, basically like made a carnival attraction out of having a slave. And then even when she died, like, uh, like basically sold her for a public autopsy. So he made a show out of like publicly cutting up her body. And then. And I believe she was blind and paralyzed. So truly the least. I mean, if this movie is trying to argue that this was an empowering process for people, like definitionally this woman had no consent in her being treated yeah. this way. So yes, not a great start for B.T. Barnum. And establishing like the tradition of the freak show. Like, I mean, although some people, I guess, made money through those, like the historical record does not seem to suggest that this was generally a good thing. So that's, that is like the huge, the, the biggest asterisk on this movie. I mean, like we can get into the, you know, there are, there are little like problems, but the, the, the biggest problem for that is me. And what, what like bums me out is, I think of it like very similarly to Pocahontas, where my friend Tony like once observed, he's like, Pocahontas, like the, the message of that movie is extremely progressive in a really cool way, I think. Um, I'm a big fan of Pocahontas. He's like, that would be really awesome if they had just called it something fictional, just like made up another person mm-hmm. instead of like using a Disney romance to sort of revise the history of like genocide and kidnapping so in the similar way it kind of makes me wish that they just like called just said like this is the story of like jp Wizbang, the man who wanted and like you know you would just yeah. know you would understand that it was like heavily inspired by pt barnum but with this whole like it's it's like it has no time period it like plays beyond what you would call fast and loose with history it like shows us a world like overall that like never existed. It's like people in these like bright colors as like the choo choos like go by. It's like <laughs> I think since they're already making a fantasy, I sort of <laughs> wish that they had taken like one extra step and been like, we're just going to make a fantasy because mm-hmm. you know it's not the grimmest thing in the world. Like I can I obviously am capable of separating these things, but there will be some people who are like, oh yeah, I know about P.T. Barnum. He was this like. He's this man who, like, he saw the good in, like, the society's outcasts. And it's like, well, maybe not. Right. That this becomes part of his legacy for the, all of the millions of people that saw and loved this movie and listened to the soundtrack on the radio and whatever. Yeah. I think you're right that there are more moments of critique of Barnum than maybe you would expect Mm -hmm. based on the movie's reputation. Like, there is this whole middle section where he is trying to climb up in society and he starts very cruelly rejecting all of the original troupe he was working mm-hmm. with. And that is scenes like, you know, they can go see Queen Victoria, but he gets to dress up and look nice and they have to come be as performers. And then he can hobnob with Jenny Lynn, but he very cruelly like won't let them in. It's just that a good version of this movie, I think, without having to change too much, you could actually just have Barnum go on to be the villain and have Zach step up as actually now I'm going to be the good empowering leader of this mm-hmm. troop. Because mm-hmm. I do think there's actually quite an interesting like debate and discussion to be had about sort of what it's like to be part of 
these turn of the century freak shows and what was the line between this being exploitative versus empowering like that's and again i think things like sideshow or freaks are like exploring that in more interesting ways Mm -hmm. but this movie's determination that it's like no it's just peachy barnum just like got a little confused and all he's got to do is go to that ballet show and everything's gonna be okay is supremely unearned Yeah, I think I think it is disappointing that like there is no making amends for that stuff. That's not what no. he has to do. He just has to make amends with his wife. He has to make amends to a Michelle yes. Williams. I mean, yeah. at, at the end of the day, anyone who like owned in any capacity a slave, I think we could just say like we don't need a <laughs> positive outlook on them in a semi biopic in a movie for children. In a movie for children. Yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely and then if, wild. If you're erasing that, then like. Don't worry about the weird little accuracies that they tried to squeeze in that don't mm-hmm. fit. Like, have it just be mm-hmm. big fish and a mystical oh, little land or something. It does have real big fish vibes to it. Big fish is so fun. Yeah, that's a good parallel. So the origin story of this movie is actually quite funny. They, Hugh Jackman hosted the Oscars in, like, 2009. I don't know if you guys remember mm-hmm. this. He had done the Tonys a couple times, and then he did the Oscars. And while they were rehearsing, one of the producers was like, you have this P.T. Barnum energy about you. We should make a movie about P.T. Barnum and have you be in it. And then, like, basically that – them just behind the scenes rehearsing the Oscars, that was sort of where the, the screen – the people that were, like, writing the Oscars sort of get roped into writing the screenplay. Like, it all starts oh. in this weird Oscar moment, although then it takes, like, seven years for the movie to actually come together. But that was sort of the impetus was just like it was always Hugh Jackman in this role. It was like a Hugh Jackman star vehicle. And I do think if if there's anything that lets the movie get away with it, it is just that like Hugh Jackman is so freaking charming. Mm -hmm. And this ties back to what you were saying, Ned, about how like that movie star quality where where part of the fun is that we're not losing the person. It's not a Daniel Day-Lewis disappearing act. It is a this is Hugh Jackman presentational style this of acting <laughs> yeah this is me this is i think that kind of lets it get away with like well okay it's rehabilitating pt barnum but actually it's just celebrating hugh jackman so mm-hmm. we'll just kind of look the so other way. how do you think he would feel knowing you two chose this for a zach retrospective well i feel kind of bad because we have also given the prestige to christian bale like we've really kind of started you just have to do all the x-men movies <laughs> i have no problem with that <laughs> All right, our first film, X-Men. Our second, X2, X-Men United. <laughs> to our credit, there was a world where we would have done Kate and Leopold for Meg Ryan. And I said, no, we have to save that one okay. for mm-hmm. Hugh. He's got to deepen up. Here's the thing about people who have been like, frankly, about like white men who have been in the business for like 15 years. We're not going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel to find Hugh films for an eventual Hugh series. We're going to have plenty of other ones. And we will certainly shout out that I think this is a great, Hugh performance. I mean, it's very like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it's very much just sort of like charm is the number one quality, like more than anything else. And this is an actor who I think we've seen is capable of grit, intensity, darkness. Um, but he doesn't. He's not called upon to bring any of those uh, qualities no. to bear here. He just gets to be extremely charming. I mean, it does feel like. Even though, as I said, I think he's too old to be playing Professor Harold Hill, or he's not really too old. There's going to be a range. I can see why someone saw this and then was like, get this man to Broadway to play the music Mm. man, Um, because he's got that sort of charming huckster quality to him. Um, 
For and sure. Came up. His big start was Curly in Oklahoma, which is like maybe a midpoint somehow, or maybe that's one end of the spectrum. And Music Man is one end of the spectrum and P.T. Barnum is like somewhere in the, I don't know what the exact trajectory of that, but I could see all those three roles sort of on a line somewhere. Yeah. And just like as a pure like musical theater performer in the sort of like classic Gene Kelly leading man way, like he's the best we've got out of the like, you know, the the community of A-list stars, I think. With a serious, you know, with a serious argument that like Zach is a major like uh up and comer in that mm-hmm. in that role but like Hugh is he's he's the man for that yeah he's so good other little moments similar to what you were talking which i forget which one of you are talking about this but the way the like the world's largest man has his little acting moment that feels very um there are moments that i would say if you were watching someone's like senior showcase performance you'd be like oh that really made them stand out above <laughs> the rest and the one for Hugh is in is in Come Alive. He has a little moment where he's sort of standing on the side before he goes out to be in the in the circus, like, ring. Mm-hmm. And he's just, like, taking his hat. And it's a real, like, I'm taking in everything around me. And I'm smiling, smiling with pride about what I've done. And that's a moment that I always really love. I think I don't know if either of you remember this. I think my favorite Hugh moment is when he and the daughters are trying to hand out flyers to get people to come in. And he... A guy with a top hat walks by and he says, half price for anyone wearing a hat. <laughs> that is really good. I, I think the hiring people montage is where I love the Hugh. He's, Excellent. He's yeah. got these what it's feel good. like maybe semi-ad-libbed when he says- uh, mm-hmm. Did you say 750 That little pounds? exchange is so charming. The world's heaviest man has such a fun energy. The two of them together. Mm-hmm. They just like- And then people. he's also into it. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's what I said. That really, that really like sells that. <laughs> Him high-fiving the amazing dog boy, whom I also love, mm-hmm. when he's talking to Vasily Pavlos and is like, uh, we're going to change the name. I've seen you as Irish. You know, all those little, like, bantery things are really, really great. That montage, I think, also does a lot from for, like, showing that the circus troupe is kind of in on it. Yeah. Because it's showing them True. accepting his ideas and being excited about it. Mm-hmm. And even though we don't see that many interactions with them, I think that goes a long way. Yeah. And they keep an energy where, like, you can see them be a little wary at times. Like, through Come Alive, they're mm-hmm. like, did we make a mistake signing up for this guy? But he just kind of, like, <laughs> Barnum then does the Hugh thing, which is just, like, put on the charm and a little aggression. And, like, it comes through. Well, it's a, I think it's a good dynamic for them to be pretty savvy and be like, oh, yeah, that's how he is. Like, half of this is exploiting us. But we're getting something good out of it, so we're going to mm-hmm. go in. We're going to agree to do it. The problem is just... That would be far more interesting if they were the main characters mm-hmm. in the movie instead of him being the main character yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing that makes him a great candidate for the main character is you're like, oh, I like Hugh. Hugh's a leading man. Yes. And he is great. It's just weird to – it's exactly the Pocahontas thing you're talking about where it's just – it's weird to pull this history in particular. Yeah. Because you could have just done literally I was talking about else. this with Emily and she's like – I was like, because it's a fully original musical – And just imagining the budget they probably asked for for this, which I don't know exactly what it was, but I assume big. uh, I can see, like, we need to attach, if not IP, then, like, a recognizable historical figure to it. Like, if they say Mm. it is a fully, fully original, made-up story, I just feel like people would be like, they just have a hard time getting the funding. 
Although Emily was like, mm-hmm. what, do you think there are so many P.T. Barnum fans out in the world? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great question. I don't really know how these things work. Like, maybe the name actually does help them sell tickets because people go, Barnum, circus. I went to the circus as a kid. Let's see it. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I think that there is a little bit of a hook there. This movie also had, just speaking of sort of box office in general, this movie has, I would say, the craziest box office story like of the decade, if not the yeah. century, where it it basically, it just opened incredibly badly. Like it was poorly reviewed and, compa- you know, compared to other blockbusters of its budget, it just like made virtually no money. So everyone was like, oh, this is a <laughs> flop. Um, that's too bad. And then it just continued to grow and grow and grow and eventually became like the fifth highest grossing musical of all time. And with box office, they use this thing called a multiplier, which is sort of a... Mm. I don't know. It's a way a number to indicate how much something has grown after oh, it opens. So it would be a good measure of like, oh, this this open it sort of like grows over time. And I think the only movie of it this caliber that has a higher multiplier than The Greatest Showman is Titanic, mm. which similarly had a like this is just in theaters forever and everyone's going to see it and it's so successful. So Greatest Showman had this crazy just like arc where everyone thought it failed. And then all of a sudden, it just fully exploded. Like, I think they released a whole separate album that's just other famous people covering the Greatest Showman songs because it was so Okay, popular. sidebar. What's, who's on that? Is it good? Have you listened to it? <laughs> I don't know. Should we look up? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to say Pink is on no. there. Oh, I mean, they would play these songs. They would play fan. these songs on the radio. Like, I remember this being just something that was around. Okay, it's called Greatest Showman Reimagined. Mm-hmm. Who we got? Um, Panic at the Disco is doing oh, This incredible. is the that's, greatest show Couldn't be more natural <laughs> A Million Dreams, that's our girl Pink Okay, mm-hmm. great uh, Come Alive Something called Years and Years and Jess Glenn mm, Nope Nothing. Not familiar with either of them The <laughs> other side is someone whose name is Max And okay. Ty Dolla Sign Never right. Enough The sort of uh, Opera uh-huh. <laughs> questionable number kind of probably kind of. my least favorite that one became a big breakout hit but i guys really i kind of like was... it oh you no like i like a dramatic me. song but i will say it sounds ridiculous saying that she is the best opera singer and then that's the pop song she sings <laughs> and then Hugh, so can we just choice. think about hugh's face when he's looking at her saying as though he's watching like a unicorn be born and it's like the yeah. greatest awe-inspiring thing he's ever seen yeah it's really not delivering what that scene is setting it up just don't say she's an opera singer just say she's a singer Uh, it's it's a very weird that 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 tension you talk about is very weird and i i do want to circle back to just say that to 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 maybe in a second to just talk about how i think that jenny lane overall is just a terrible 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 character for a a great actor well yes because she was a nice woman who gave all her money to charity And they made her an evil temptress villain for no reason. Like, literally one-dimensional in a way that, like, you rarely see. It's like, she, there's nothing, there's nothing to her. Why does she She's even like, exist? Well, yes, I do give all my money to charity, but I will also fuck you. I don't know. Um, um, and I think oh. Rebecca Ferguson is so good, but yeah, not, not she's wasted this, really. here. Yeah. I have to, though, circle, I now I have okay, to please. say. Yeah, tell us. Who, covered who by singing? Kelly Clarkson. Wait, oh, which song? Which song? Not, never Enough? Never Enough. Never okay. Enough. Favorite song. I bet that's. I bet that's. I bet that's better. 
Probably this better. is me got a reimagined remix featuring Kesha and Missy Elliott. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, okay. It's the remix okay. we Rewrite never the knew stars. <laughs> Rewrite the Stars is by someone named James Arthur and someone named Anne Marie. Look like they're both British. We got a tightrope, the Michelle Williams song covered by mm-hmm. Sarah Bareilles. I can see it. Legit. From now on, covered by the country band Zach Brown Band. Oh, yeah. Do I they can, do chicken fried? My favorite. Uh, that sounds right. Country Damn, song. Oh my fried. gosh! Then we get a greatest show bonus track covered by Pentatonix. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kesha Sorry, got her own version of "This Is Me." Pentatonix. Um, okay, I kind of like people. Kesha. I'm gonna listen to that. I have a question. I like Kesha too. I have a question about that moment where he's watching her sing because. I had an interpretation the second time I watched it. Okay, so I don't usually rewatch the movies. I know Caroline often does, and I and I, I gotta on it, watch it again. I watched the movie this morning, and then this afternoon I rewatched all the musical numbers, and then later that afternoon I rewatched just some of the musical numbers. Wow! The DVD has a feature that just lets you only watch the musical numbers, and there has never been a greater feature in the history of DVDs. Well, the Disney Plus streaming version also <laughs> has that, but you do have to skim your little thing along until you see the start <laughs> musical number and click on it. So it's a little bit more... It's, it's my own little version of that same DVD feature. Um, but in that scene, I felt like there was a moment where... Maybe this is like too fan theory-ish, but I actually wondered if this was intentional. She's singing, and then he looks out. Uh, uh, Barnum like looks out of the audience, and he sees the mean critic like enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And then he starts to be like, "Wow, wow!" I I like. I felt there was this interpretation where like all he sees with her is the possibility, and that yeah. like kind of the whole time his relationship with her is just like. Wow, she's going to make me so rich and famous. That's certainly a more interesting take. I think there's something there that you could you could follow. I don't know if, I don't know if I think that's what they were going for, but I think there is stuff there to, you know, uh advance that narrative. I think Charity, his wife played by Michelle Williams, she calls it out at one point. She's like, "I don't think you're in love with this woman. You only care about yourself." So I think there is a read on this where he is it's like weird how much the movie does call out his flaws you only care about yourself or the oddities being like you've betrayed us but then there's just no it's just like well then he felt bad about it so now it's okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's no accountability for it but i think she's right that he and i think you're right as well that he is valuing jenny lind for the esteem and respectability she's bringing him yeah and the fact, it's like she's a good investment, right? Like he's seeing all of these things he's doing, not as human beings, as, but as sort of investments and in his success. Mm-hmm. It's just that then at the end, everyone's like, well, but you were a good guy, so don't worry about it. Yeah. I also, I cannot believe they make his wife sing the line, <laughs> however big, however small, let me be part of it all. Share your dreams with me. You may be right. You may be wrong. But say that you'll bring me along. I'm like, could this woman have one desire in her life that's not like, I don't care if you're successful in any capacity. I just like, you're amazing. So I need to be around you. It's really bad. Yeah. Can we do a charity deep dive real quick? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What did you guys? Charity thoughts, Katie. My charity thoughts are why did you get Michelle Williams for this boring role? (laughs) 
like, this was a weird point in Michelle Williams' career. I feel like she had been away for a while. She came back and did this. She was in the Venom movie. She's Venom. <laughs> she gives a, frankly, amazing performance in the rom-com I Feel Pretty as a fully deranged comedic mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then I think finally around Fosse Verdon, she was like, oh, I'm just going to do cool prestige things. But there was this weird period where she was like, I will be in your big budget blockbuster even when it doesn't really make but sense it's that like, I'm in it. Okay, if you get Michelle Williams and like do something better with that character also can we talk about her wig sidebar to the sidebar <laughs> i couldn't stand her wig how did hugh take all of the budget for this movie that they couldn't get one good wig for her <laughs> i don't know if the wig quite stood out the wig and the elephants are the two things that i couldn't stand <laughs> <laughs> i've come around to really appreciating the michelle song tightrope me too actually which i think it's a little bit lost in the movie itself it almost becomes like the backing to sort of a montage of various things. Yep. But when you when I listen to that song sort of in the soundtrack, I think I just have come to really appreciate it more. And at least she gets that little moment. It also yeah. had one of the most beautiful like visuals, I thought to me, was when she's – it's kind of like a silhouette shot of her and Barnum dancing down mm-hmm. the hallway and then he disappears into the curtain. Mm-hmm. I really love that. That's a great, great moment, which to me, that was an example. I was like, this movie's going wild with the CGI, but every now and then when they use it, it's like, okay, the lines are bad. But like, they they (laughs) use CGI to do fun things, that being the one where I like had that thought and took that note, because I was like, oh yeah, that effect was, that effect was great. I like the, I like the storytelling montage songs a little bit. They're not so much something we've seen um, in the previous movie musicals we've discussed on Mm -hmm. this podcast. I think they are a kind of a nice uh, uh, hallmark of this film is these like that and a million dreams. Definitely. That one's very montage but like the montages are like good and they're, they're like, they tell their story like effectively. Is mm-hmm. that scene the one where they have, he's being, he and Jenny Lind are being like showered with roses yeah. in Europe or uh, in, in touring across America. And at the same time, the like the Barna Museum circus is being like pelted with yeah. like fruit by the racist. Disruptors. And there's a part that truly like makes me gasp every time where they make it seem like Zendaya's falling, like that something's gone <gasps> mm-hmm. wrong. But it's mm-hmm. then they like catch her and it's fine. But every time I'm like, Oh my god, Zendaya, don't drop her. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like that's that's a it's a quieter little number, but it's well planned and well executed. I think as for Allison Williams overall, like Michelle Williams. Oh, fuck. How embarrassing. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I was about to say is I am more specifically invested in Rebecca Ferguson as an actor and even more irritated Mm. with her character. So I think I didn't see around that as much to sort of how annoyingly like one note. She's not quite one note, but she certainly, as you're right, is like she seems to have no uh, agenda except to like have her husband with her mm-hmm. and that lyric that you read caroline i didn't really <laughs> i didn't really clock it on my first or second pass but that's that's pretty egregious well i mean i also think lyrically these songs are just you know look out because here i come yeah i'm walking <laughs> on to the beat of my drum like i'm not scared I've, to be seen i need no apologies this is me like this is not i think that Pasig and paul they do have some sort of secret sauce of knowing how to write a hook 
they are most famous for writing Dear Evan Hansen, which similarly had this massively popular soundtrack that then like launched, um, you know, this show to major success. Um, they also they wrote the lyrics to La La Land, which again, I don't think I almost am like, I don't know, not that lyrics aren't important, but I don't think people remember La La Land because of the lyrics, you know, so I for do me, we remember Dear Evan La La Hansen Land this are <laughs> are their big projects. And both of these projects deploy what i would describe as like an evangelical christian music <laughs> sound <laughs> it's like worship music but they just make it agnostic and then but everyone loves it right it's the same reason that christian music is so popular Ooh, that is we're so just listening to you know this is me or whatever that you know dear evan hansen like it, it does get you on this sort of primal level where you're like like I cannot listen to these songs without dancing around. You know what I mean? Like they're so infectious. They've got to be good. Yeah, they build really well. But I don't know if I would be like, this is great art. You know, it's just like super effective pop music more than it is musical theater music. I'm obsessed with this idea that they took like mega church rock band music and then just made it. Well, even the call atheistic. and response where it's like, yes, oh. it's this gospel tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn. Oh, I love that. And I think Evan Hansen has a lot of that in it, too. I've never heard. I've never seen or listened to Dear Evan Hansen or Wild La Land, for that matter. So I'm kind of like uh, kind of a... A Pasigan Paul noob. They yes. also have a bunch of... Because um, I had heard of them before either of those projects. They wrote just a bunch of mu- random musical theater songs that would always get performed at... Um, Showcases, you know, cabarets, cabarets or showcases. Yeah. Yes, like I feel like all through college, you'd always be like, "Oh, they're doing a Pasek and Paul song." Well, you were you were more tapped in than I was. I was <laughs> tapped in. All of those moments, I thought, "Well, they're doing a song." Oh yeah, edges. That's what they did. This like uh, musical theater, sort of like almost like more of a song cycle. I think I feel like people are always doing edges songs. I will say, like, I just had this impression of their music as being kind of all the things we're accusing it of. But what I didn't know until I saw the movie is that, like, the numbers, nevertheless, work really well. Oh, they work. They're they're so good. Like, they're bad, but they're good. (laughs) Yeah. I really don't think that there is, like, a dud in this movie. There are ones I'm less enthusiastic about. No, I don't think Never Enough (laughs) is a dud. I Well, I'll tell you what. I do think that uh, the, the, like, hand choreography that she has to do, because unlike... Every other scene, which like just moves and moves and moves and lions and jumping and 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 dancing on the chairs and taking the little shots and whiskey, she's just like rooted. She's just nailed to the floor, and there's no montage, there's no nothing. So she does these little like hand gestures that are so bizarre. Well, she's it's trying to perform it like it's opera, but it is an alto pop song. I love yeah. her re. I think it's the reprise where she's sad that Hugh has rejected her and she's mm-hmm. basically just cry whispering the whole thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'd be mad if I was that audience. Like you paid a <laughs> lot of money and she's just crying and whispering. These people paid a whole dollar to be here. I think my main qualm with the music, which overall I think is really fun and I like it, but I want it to be like raw like I, I don't like how, I don't really have the vocabulary produced. to describe it, but how produced and processed it sounds, especially mm-hmm. like the one with when they're little kids, a million dreams. Yeah. It's like, why, just let them sound like kids. Like, why does it sound 
I don't like I don't like that. I want it to be a little more like Les Mis kind of right. quality. Well, it's produced like it's a pop song. Mm-hmm. It's not produced like it's a musical theater performance. And that doesn't And fit. that is both like the best and the worst thing about it. That's like why the soundtrack became so popular because you can sort of listen to it independent of the mm-hmm. story and still sort of feel emotionally moved by it. But I feel like you would still get that from the melodies and from the builds without that like very processed sound added to it especially and it doesn't fit the kind of like mystical realm they're somewhat building like turn of the century Mm -hmm. it doesn't fit no it feels very modern but it fits an overall kind of glossy aesthetic Mm -hmm. which i think they're doing Mm -hmm. and which i've i feel like i've been grasping at the straw for a little while trying to express like glossiness that's been i guess something that follows zach around in his career Although mm. I guess I haven't seen this movie where he's guarding some gold in the desert, so, <laughs> so maybe well, yeah, always. maybe the next phase of his career is like losing a little bit of the glossiness, moving away from the gloss. Ned, did we cover enough of your um, Jenny Lind thoughts, Rebecca Ferguson thoughts? Yes, I mean, how many more? I guess like <laughs> how many more ways can I say like that's a bad character that there's nothing interesting about her, and I'm like, I'm it's annoying to me that she's in the movie, just as like a cipher. Yeah, it's just so strange that. Because again, if the arc is that it's Barnum coming to realize he made mistakes, don't make her a villain. It should be that he realizes he was like being villainous and splitting his time or in not investing in these things properly or in chasing the wrong thing. Or what yeah. if you just got rid of that character and actually developed yeah. the circus troupe people? Like, yeah, and you, that'd be better. Because that would make it feel more like a movie rather than just things happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. Here's what I want to say. Please. I think... I truly think Zendaya has like 10 lines and one song in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I think it is such a masterful performance that she somehow feels like the most fully realized character in the whole thing. Like it is incredible to me how good she is in this. She is great. And is a testament to, I think, Zendaya becoming or already being just like the greatest talent of her generation. Yeah. I mean, that moment you mentioned where like, Zach, like, bursts out through the door, and she, like, swings up and looks at him. A, a shot used in, like, all the you yeah. know, Instagram trailers Beautiful. I saw for this. And it's like, you're like, okay, I bought in. I mean, she, like, she has this, like, virtuosity. She does mm-hmm. the circus stuff, which is awesome. She, like, dances with the team. You know, she's, like, out on the floor, not, like, you know, sometimes, like, a movie star will, like, be in a movie like this. Yeah. And it's, like, there's the dancers, like, busting ass, and then here's the movie star, like, Kind of doing something that goes along with them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But she she does it with them. She also, gosh, she has this little, like, hand thing that she does that kind of makes me think of, At the of, end? Like, yes, yes. It's, it's like this, almost like voguing. Yes, it's a voguing kind of It's so like, good, Ned. I know exactly what you're talking about. It comes right after the part where where Zach does the knee slide that I mm-hmm. love so much. I'm going to have to pull a couple different it's gifts so and put them it's on her. It's so good. What about yeah. her angry dance when she's oh looking at Zach? I was like, this say. is me. The other part that is so fucking good, yes. like so good. <laughs> yes. The angry dance bit is great. And that's also like, that's outside of the script. Like that's good acting. Mm-hmm. That's good direction because like it's a choral moment, but your director or maybe it was the DP or someone is like, here's a great moment. Let's strengthen. You get a lot of Anne Philip like story beat right there mm-hmm. in a group number. When you're like, she's down there being like, "Sorry, dude, if you can't handle me who I am, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
It would be fun if she got a solo angry dance. Like if she got like a a footloose style, a footloose style solo, or angry dance, but... a Zach mm-hmm. High School Musical three. Yeah, scream. That's, that's what I was looking for. Was the like, what's the golf course dance called? Bet on it. Oh, bet on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Wheeler's bet on it would be kind of fun. But but what's I think what's so good about the Zendaya performance? It's like there is the there's the showman aspect of it, which is so compelling to watch, and her being beautiful on the trapeze. But she is also giving a whole separate performance of who Ann Wheeler is as just a human being, mm-hmm. and how much dignity and poise that she needs to carry to be this black woman in this you know very unfriendly 1800s world. And you are getting all of that. Like, there's truly, like, no dialogue that is Mm -hmm. conveying that. But just her demeanor through all of that and the contrast of the freedom of the, you know, crazy circus performer versus the quiet dignity of just the person is, like, I think a breathtakingly good performance. And, yeah, all of her little romance with Zach, like, I just think it's so – it's just so well done. And this, I think, is a real – because Spider-Man comes out this year, too. I think that this is the moment that, that Zendaya is, like, fully emerging in her adult stardom, you know, role. Yeah. And it's fun to look back and sort of see it all be in this performance. I also just love how tall she is. <laughs> a little sidebar. <laughs> She's 5'10", and I like how she kind of towers over Zach in some of their scenes. Yeah. I think he must be wearing lifts in the uh, Rewrite the Stars because he's about even even with her. And I'm like, but but they're not. (laughs) It also, speaking of people that had not quite burst onto the scene yet, it is wild that Yaga Abdul-Mateen II, mm-hmm. also one of our mm-hmm. emerging greatest movie stars, is just like Zendaya's <laughs> older brother who has two yes. lines. Yes, he has. There's really nothing to his character besides like, I'm an older brother. I was he waiting like for has something a, to happen. I was like, oh, he yeah, must he have has a I'm going to protect her moment, but then that doesn't become anything. Fully wild. He was also in, Ned, I don't know if you remember, he was the oh, cop in Baywatch. Yeah, in Baywatch, that's right. So he Same and Zach way. just had a big 2017 together. Yeah. Yeah, not the... These are not the roles that propelled him to start. Those would no. come later on. <laughs> no, it's wild to watch. It's like when you watch Kate and Leopold, Viola Davis is in it as a cop in one scene who tells Hugh Jackman to pick up his dog's poop. Whoa. And you're like, this is insane to watch. It's really bizarre. Just like day player Viola Davis. Yeah. It's it's different when you see like, oh, it's George Clooney as like a young man. He was like 10 years before mm-hmm. his. But you're like, this is Yaya Abdul-Mateen II at the age at which he will like become a movie star. Right. That's, this is very strange, but they've yeah, just guess, missed out yeah. on understanding who he is. There's also a fun and slightly weird meta thing to pairing Zach and Zendaya because Zendaya also was a Disney Channel kid. So oh. it's it's fun in that sense that they're together. It's weird because she's like a generation and a half, if not just like two generations of Disney Channel past him. Uh-huh. Which I think just looking at them, I don't they don't read to me as a massive age gap, but I'm like, oh, no, like, Casey Undercover was well after High School Musical. This is very strange that they are romantically paired. Yeah, what is yeah. their age difference? I think it's like 10 years, maybe. It's eight I believe years. I think that they're one like time, 21, 29 in this film. Mm, I think I one time calculated and figured out that actually the two people of the four, the main four that are closest in age are Michelle Williams and Zac Efron. Wow. Huh. Because both men are paired with younger women mm-hmm. and there could never be a world where we're pairing an older woman with a younger man and that's not the plot of the story speaking yeah. of weird ages can we talk about um adult 45 year old hugh jackman 
playing like what is supposed to be like (laughs) presumably like a 19 year old asking for michelle williams hand in marriage yeah it's for me um, it's it's the fact that um charity's dad stays the same the whole time (laughs) he like looks quite old so true (laughs) when he's like thank you for your honesty whack and then like hugh comes back who you know is 30 years older (laughs) at least and the kid and the dad is just there like a vampire. <laughs> okay, what can we also talk about? I don't know if this is more or less egregious, but the fact that his daughters never age, which would basically imply that this entire plot of this movie takes place in like a year. Oh, what the fuck? It's a fantasy. Because they are small little ballet dancers the ent- like when they're poor living in a tenement house and then when they have fully moved into a rich house and then they have lost that house and then gotten it back and there's it's like he sort of enchanted them to not grow while he was figuring his shit out and he's like, "Well, now I'm a good dad, so you may begin aging again, children." The director just refused to hire any actors to be anyone's other age. And they really <laughs> yeah. needed it. What he doesn't that? acknowledge aging. <laughs> just imagining Hugh Jackman just sitting there singing the very beginning of A Million Dreams. Just like, right. on, like on the beach with the little kid. <laughs> 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 it was me, sir. I made her laugh. <laughs> Whack. I also think for all the times that I saw this movie or saw parts of this movie in a theater, every time the biggest laugh would be when the one little sister was is dressed as a tree at the end. <laughs> I love the little, I love her dress as a tree. Just just like Caroline at the jungle party. Yeah, exactly. We are uh, together in that. The little tree is extremely adorable. The little trees. I also find it so bizarre that Hugh, that uh, P.T. Barnum's dad, as briefly glimpsed in the opening scene, is played by Will Swenson, who's a major Broadway guy, but does not sing any songs in this musical. They just wanted to bring him along for the fun. I guess so. I mean, he wears a top hat very well, no complaints, but it does seem... A little bit random. Ooh, I love the shot when Will drops, not Will, uh, when uh, young PT, young Phineas, uh, drops all the bolts of fabric and they roll down the stairs. Oh, a great shot. That's one of those things where you're like, look at this shot. Is this one of the like best movies ever? Right. Of course, as you say, Katie, and then you, it doesn't take 10 minutes to be like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but baby. Then just before that scene, you have my least favorite line in the whole movie, which is, Little Michelle Williams saying, father's sending me to finishing school. I don't know what my future holds. Like, what is this child? Who speaks like that? I don't know what my future will be. Just so they can start singing about what his future will look like. Like, That's not how children Because God forbid she has a future of her own. I read one (laughs) retrospective that pointed out that, you know, they're kind of playing around in this dilapidated, you know, mansion that then later he'll buy for them. Mm-hmm. But this article was like, this is a dilapidated Victorian mansion, but this is the Victorian age. When did it have time to become dilapidated? <laughs> like, that is a hundred-year-old oh, ivy you. that's on there, and that is that is a new build. Great question. Great question. I do think that there is something to be said for the music video quality of it all, and the this beautiful shot of the bolts of fabric, or this beautiful shot of you know zendaya doing something or the roping the rope tricks or whatever like it really does carry it quite far yeah even if it's not fully functioning as conventional like movie musical storytelling once you said that at the beginning of this being a music video director and this being like a series of music videos i'm like oh yeah it is and they're great they're great music videos but it does it does have that feel there is a big just coasting along on vibes energy Mm mm-hmm 
to the entire movie. <laughs> yes. Yes, and watching it and trying to, like, you know, going in, frankly, like, a little skeptical of the premise, knowing that I kind of thought that you two were more sort of, like, just generally positive on it. Mm. I didn't. Well, we I are. It's just hard to sum up. Yes. It's hard to sum yes. up the love at the same time as pointing out the things that don't. The love yes. is so, it's just, like, there. You just take it for granted mm-hmm. that it's easier to talk about the flaws. Yeah. You have a deep relationship. Yeah. Um, but I think like going into it and being like, I want to give this movie a really fair shot. Like it is an exercise in like, how much can you kind of turn off your brain and just let it, <laughs> just let it carry you along. Just let the pretty colors wash over you. <laughs> it's yeah. so true. And I really want to say like, it's not just, even though I keep saying it's just throwing stuff at you, like it's not just overwhelming you with colors. Like it is overwhelming you with a very precise craft mm-hmm. with like extremely good, precise like montage generally i think an effectively rich like cgi landscape really energetic choreography and then like peppering in those little like well-directed acting moments that you have more Mm -hmm. or less of depending on the number Mm -hmm. and i will also say uh, having an ensemble that has individuality which i think is really important Mm -hmm. Um, it's not just like some musicals where you're like an income the boys and the girls that's a good point. They each have a distinct costume. It feels like those actors have spent hours like keeping journals about their characters. That really, they <laughs> it does. Yeah, entirely made up in their head. Whereas, like when you see like the nicest kids in town in Hairspray, sure, you don't have a sense. Or of... even High School Musical is very sure. like now all the kids yeah. in the high school are dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that, you have like you got your main tier, and then I feel like High School Musical does have like a secondary tier where you're like, yeah, I remember that kid, and then you have in the background more like generic kids. But in this, like. I mean, they they pad it out with people, but you you do get to follow, you know the oh that's the guy with tattoos. Oh, that's the, ta- the lady that wears gold. Oh, exactly. This guy has horns. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. Horns. <laughs> the guy. dynamic of them all is very interesting. The range of yeah. like people born with different things, and then just like right. I have a lot of tattoos. Yeah. Like right. it's just like right. an interesting range this guy of jewelry. <laughs> I learned yeah, how to well, do trapeze. Obviously, Katie, it's a cel- one might even say it's a celebration of diversity <laughs> of the human spirit. <laughs> that is grim. Truly, that critic just being like, I know I wrote a bad review, but in my heart, I know actually what you're doing is good and moral and is the right way to go. I truly hated that character. <laughs> like, why did he seem like a little cartoon? I don't know. Well, cartoon might just be a way to describe the whole of it, <laughs> the entire thing. Can I shout out the moment where the two guys who are playing Chang and Ang, the Siamese twins, like mm-hmm. like do a flip together a and then like jump into the air flip. and then do a splits mm-hmm. together? Talk about characters that you would just think could they have any lines? Like I don't believe either of them speak in the entire film, and that no. would be so much more interesting. It would be so yeah. much more interesting to learn about they these just people. All kind of get they all kind of get to angry dance and this is me Mm -hmm. i think like i totally agree that restructuring this movie to have more focus on those characters would be interesting but i think i also want to say that like with the script and book and and music that they're given i think this movie actually does a good job of letting you get a sense of some of Mm -hmm. these people and letting you like latch on to them like every time dog boy came on screen i was like hell yeah i love dog (laughs) boy yeah you're almost tricked into thinking you know them all very well Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I also just got a shout out that Dog Boy does a Hurricane Rana in the brawl scene, which is a wrestling what is maneuver. That? That's a yeah. like a that's the it's a tilt the whirl head scissors thing where he like links his legs around and he just does oh, like Oh yes, like a Black Widow move. Yes, yes, exactly. He just does it. I'm like, that's a 
That's a wrestling maneuver. You had to translate it to scene? Avengers for Caroline. Yeah. 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 That's always what needs to happen. Uh, the quadrant, brawl scene movie. has um, the energy of all of the furniture attacking. In <laughs> the beast. Well, she literally says, charge. <laughs> is that what the wardrobe says? In BD- or maybe every, Cogsworth I'm just like, it all, it all works out. Like she's the wardrobe. The dog boy is whatever. Lumiere. Like somehow it all is fitting together. <laughs> dog in my boy mind. is the little Ottoman. Oh, he is the little Ottoman. <laughs> yeah, it's a fight they want. We'll be ready for them. Who's with me? Ah! <laughs> it is funny that, so I'm like going through and I'm like, oh, I want to talk about the songs. But I'm like, oh, remember when like an entire fire happens and yeah. Zac Efron runs into a burning building? The plot does feel quite distinct from the songs. Was mm-hmm. I the only one who almost cried when Zac Efron ran into the burning building? No, it's so earnest. I think that this movie, I actually think since this is our... First movie since the High School Musical franchise where Zach is fully tapping into that like Troy Bolton earnestness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had kind of remembered it being that he was he was an asshole for longer, but really he's just like an asshole for one song. And then as soon as he get in, gets introduced to the circus, he's kind of fully team circus with the only conflict being, will he publicly date Zendaya? Which I what think- a conflict for one to have, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think does, it makes his role quite simple. You know, there's not a but, ton but he's so to dig into. Good at that, I think. Mm-hmm. I think true. that this movie is really highlighting why you get emotional when he runs into a burning building because he does it so earnestly and he doesn't think he's like Zendaya is missing. I must run mm-hmm. into this building mm-hmm. for her. And then Hugh which runs again, into is his an love. impulse we can all relate to. Yeah, and then Hugh, which is I would say objectively crazier because his children are watching him burn alive. Watching him, it's very uh, this is us energy. Mm-hmm. This is me. This is us. It's too much. (laughs) But I think that earnestness is like so – it's such a big part of the appeal of Zach for me. And even though we haven't really said this explicitly, but Zach is very much a supporting player in this movie. Like I would say that this is almost feels like a step back from the sorts of stuff we've seen him doing where he is like the co-lead of Baywatch and he is the co-lead of Neighbors and Mike and Dave or whatever. Yeah. Even though he has Hugh there to have that – dynamic that we discussed last week where there has to be an older man that's slightly putting him in his place Mm -hmm. he is very much positioned as a smaller role in the ensemble but i do think it really stands out and is a very good and distinct use of his you know particular his particular set of skills Mm -hmm. (laughs) i also think he sounds great he does he and zendaya harmonizing in rewrite the whatever Mm -hmm. stars stars amazing Am I crazy yeah. that the titles of the songs are really hard to remember? Well, they're just very they're just generic phrases. Yeah. Um, just- but yes, I like. I think Zach. He sounds great, and I like. I like his little bantery scenes with Hugh. I like the sort mm-hmm. of like underscore to the other side reprise where they're like debating taking the tour. And- mm-hmm. I like when he does a little um, somersault over a sort of bench or a box or something while wearing a top hat. While we're and he's holding on to that top hat, like yeah. you can see, he kind of preps to do the yeah somersault by holding on. Yeah, there's a lot. I think a thing about the musical numbers that like really is rewarding is like in those scenes where they put a lot on screen, it's not just like overwhelming, but there's a lot to notice. Like you rewatch mm-hmm. that scene, you have a, you get a better sense of like who he's bumping into and what they're doing, and they have things going on, and yeah. Just the third time I watched, uh, uh, what's it, uh, from now on, I just noticed that 
His eyes will not be blinded by the light. I noticed that the guy um From no. <laughs> no, that one. That's the one. <laughs> that the the tall Vasily Pavlos is standing on the bar and banging on the ceiling and mm. dust is falling from the ceiling. I was also confused if that like guy that. wears always wears his stilts out in public. Me too. Seems How like much he's leaning into the bit, you know what I mean? Seems like maybe. I, I mean, feel like in This Is Me when they're just walking down the street, he is stilt height. And I was like, that's a choice for yes. going to the theater. I mean, that to me feels like that actually, they, they're not going, they're not doing anything with the story, but that feels like the way that these things often worked is like the the impresario would be like, you must now always be the Irish giant. It's like giant. the guy in the um, the prestige that always mm-hmm. has to be, pretend to be an old man you to carry the fishbowl. carry a fishbowl, that's right. You have to commit to the bit it makes me think about something i learned on the disney diversity podcast where they the woman who played snow white was like forbidden from taking any other jobs because mm-hmm. walt disney like bought her out and he's like i don't want her voice to be anything other than snow white i don't want to ruin snow white for little children by having them know who voiced her i'll just ruin her life <laughs> basically yeah anyway there is a uh it would be interesting if they did a movie like this about disney don't you feel like that's another figure that they could just be like solely heroic let's make a big great musical about him and not think about any bad implications of anything isn't that what like the tom hanks as as yeah his name mrs saving mr banks yep i assume it's that i haven't seen it yeah i guess that is kind of the energy of that i'm sure they don't have i'm sure they don't have uh walt disney like manipulating to shut down unions and being sort of racially <laughs> questionable in that no uh shockingly they did manage to to avoid that side of it. That Disney legal team, they'll uh, <laughs> they'll they'll come after you. I just want to, okay, to run to maybe sh- quickly shout out a few other musical numbers we haven't really mentioned. I do like really like the rooftop dancing that Hugh and Michelle or their stand-ins do in the um, A Million Dreams. Mm-hmm. Really good. Number and all that stuff with her like almost, I don't know, she's like l- leaping I was like, girl, why are you leaning her. off the roof there? <laughs> I feel <laughs> it's like a real trust fall. that was beautiful. The part where she jumps into his arms, uh-huh. which clearly mm. I'm assuming was not them. The only part I do not like in that song is I I like from a distance the whole her like leaning and him grabbing her before mm-hmm. she falls off the roof roof. But it's completely lost to me where they do the close up zoom of just her face and you just think about like the craziness of her leaning <laughs> off this roof and her face is just like hmm. And it 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 doesn't work. Well, Katie, however big, however small, she's gonna be part like, of it. You all. can't think about the reality of her doing this. It may be right, Katie, it may be wrong, but say that you'll bring her along. You're spot on that there's something about like it looks fine from one sort of angle that just feels like, oh, it's musical theater shit. Mm-hmm. And then that shot, because when I rewatched it, I noticed that they're like they're going crazy on the roof earlier. They're like leaning and swinging off the sides earlier. Something about that shot, you're sort of confronted with like, wait, no, woman, get back <laughs> on the roof. <laughs> like, you know what? What are you doing? I also love the image in that when they're at a train station and the choo-choos go by and all the choo-choo steam goes around them and then they dance in that. Mm. I love every time you say choo-choo. Yeah, me too. I've been enjoying that. <laughs> that's a, it's a that's new what addition it is. It's a choo-choo. To the I do like that they let Charity sort of be a fun mom in certain scenes. Mm-hmm. She was giving me Emily Blunt in A Quiet Place mm-hmm. vibes. Mm, yeah. At times. It's not a huge part of the movie, but she's sort of like playing cowboys with the kids. And yeah. Not having fancy dinners with them. Like she's a real, she has been raised, she was raised in this horrible, like whatever, 
privileged prison and she decisively doesn't want her children to grow up like that even when they're among the sort of wealthy people and a slightly lazier director could have just had her like sewing when he comes back Mm -hmm. fired from work but instead she's yeah she's (laughs) playing cowboy on the roof with the kids and then says i don't care that you were fired we'll figure it out together she also has a great line where he hugh says like this isn't about me and she says oh so it's different than everything else then yeah there are funny times where she really calls him out Mm -hmm. It's such a strange, this movie has such a strange understanding of who Barnum is. She's doing Mm -hmm. what she can. She's doing, yeah, Charity's doing what she can. Also in real life, Barnum was married to Charity, you know, for a really long time until she died. Then married one of his daughter's friends who was 40 years younger than him. And I think they were only briefly married until he died. Mm -hmm. These are the kind of facts I read and just think, yeah, that's that's a certain type of a person. Person who autopsies, so slave he bought yeah it's uh yeah I mean, like <gasps> yeah the 19th century times. 19th century figures like not a ton of uh not a ton of people in there who you're gonna look at and say yeah that's uh that was very cool an un- all cool an stuff problematic figure not a lot of unproblematic figures i mean but this is you know and i that's true but then i also don't want to suggest like it's the time everybody was because like the thing is while some people were renting slaves to uh tour them around and make profit off of them other people were saying slavery is bad and refusing to participate in it so it was always possible for people yes this was the time of the civil war so there were other things happening culturally as you know this movie takes place during or anywhere between (laughs) 10 to 20 years before or after the civil war it's definitely definitely in the same century as the civil war happened in so these issues were on the table (laughs) they were on the palette and then there's that just you know progressively changing the world Mm -hmm. to circle back around to where we started which was you guys really praising the other side the hugh jackman zach Mm. number i think part of the reason that song stands out so much is because it is really the only song in the musical that actually functions as a classical musical theater song where the song is advancing the plot Mm -hmm. you're so right because every other song is just kind of like the plot might be happening in montage, right. but the song itself is not really engaging with the plot. It's sort mm-hmm. of like just a, again, like a music video setup. But the other side is all the banters happening in the song, and that's working in conjunction with the choreography, which is working in conjunction with the cinematography, and that's sort of that, that's that Kenny Ortega magic right yeah. there. They really lock into it for yeah. for one number. Yeah, him working on him is so fun, and the little like... I think I like that in, in that and some things they, they trust you to get stuff quickly without being like, we need to super flag. There's just a little moment where the bartender like pulls the bottle and is like, do I pour another shot? Yeah. And Hugh sends him a little, he gives him a little like, give me one second. Like, mm-hmm. like it's like, put it on. Okay, take it off. And he's just doing these little things and, and Matt just like flies by. And yeah, there's little like looks and gestures they give each other that they don't need to like, bam, hit you on the head with to make sure that you notice the story. But like, their interplay stuff is is going on the whole time in a really fun way. The actors are doing, and the, I guess the choreography, it's doing a lot with with relatively little. Maybe yes. that is part of the magic of this movie yes. that they are. Everyone is putting in 110%, as they would say. Like I do feel like it feels like everyone was very committed to this project. And some of that earnestness is sort of allowing it to get away with. <laughs> all of the hand waving it does mm-hmm. elsewhere yes it does like a, such incredible beautiful flourishy hand waves with fire and lions <laughs> so how can you not be taken in katie i remember you being really annoyed by the size of the elephant <laughs> that hugh jackman I've rides in on at the end i've been waiting to bring that it still up a problem? absolutely <laughs> elf i 
I don't know how big elephants are, but I cannot believe they're that big. He could walk. They're like dinosaur he, size. He looked like a hobbit walking under a horse. <laughs> like, I know elephants are big, but that is humongous. And why? It is like a, it's like a woolly mammoth elephant. It is a prehistoric creature that <laughs> he is riding down the New York street. I've seen a lot of things in New York, but I don't know about that. Yeah, they could have executed that a little better because the idea, the larger than life idea of being like, let me quickly ride an elephant to the ballet is really The giantest elephant. How did it even get inside the building where the circus was? Oh, did it get inside? That's a good question. That's why they'd have a tent. I mean, I also have a question of why what, of what is probably the largest building in the city at the time with like a million miles of like steps and columns is holding like a, like a kid's ballet recital (laughs) on the inside, (laughs) but let's not worry about that. I had that question too. I was like, did they do children's ballet recitals in the 1800s? Hand wave, hand wave. I also had actually had that question when he did the high five with Dog Boy. I was yes. like, when was did the they high, high five fives? invented? I don't feel like it was no, the 1800s. That's, that's when it was invented. Right then. <laughs> right then. <laughs> that the was the origin ball. story. <laughs> As we all know, the high five was invented when <laughs> Dog Boy P. T. and P.T. Barnum needed a way to sign an agreement. There's a, there's a deleted... I think exchange that apparently is in some trailers where Zac Efron's like showbiz. What does that mean? I never heard of it before. And then he was like, mm. that's cause I just invented it. Wow. They do that with circus. Oh, I like that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the high five is part of that. Wow. I mean, really PT Bartum, he was really the greatest showman. He <laughs> gave us so much. Yeah. This is the greatest show. Okay. As we're wrapping up here, feel free to shout out any other greatest showman things you have mm-hmm. but i also have a piece of news to surprise you both with it i don't have more information than what i'm about to read but <laughs> i, I think wait. i have a could change guess. everything i have a guess if it has to do with zach efron and a particular interest of mine i have a suspicion mm, of what oh. the news is and that it's been sent to me today but hit us i kind of doubt this is the same thing okay this is a press release for High School Musical, the musical of the series, <gasps> season four synopsis. Oh, whoa. Again, I don't have more information than what I'm about to read, but in season four of High School Musical, the musical of the series, after an epic summer at Camp Shallow Lake, the Wildcats return to East High, where they will prepare to put on a stage production of High School Musical 3 senior year. On their first day back, however, the principal announces that Disney has decided to make the long-awaited High School Musical 4 the movie High School Musical 4, the reunion movie, on location at their beloved high school, and our Wildcats will be playing featured extras in the movie. It's season four, and it's now or never. Whoa. There were so many words. Let me try Mm -hmm. to understand. This is, again, it's like watching a Scream movie. So there's High School Musical, the musical of the series, is set at the, supposedly set at the real life high school where they filmed the High School Musical franchise. So these are kids who grew up watching, you know, Zach Efron and Corbin Blue and Vanessa Hudgens because in they the high go school to the musical high school movies. And then they filmed. happened to go to the high school where it's like crazy. They filmed that famous movie series at our high school. We, the high schoolers that currently go there, should put on High School Musical. So in this new season of the show, within the, the world of the show, there will be filming a High School Musical reunion movie. Now, couple this with the facts that we talked about in our our High School Musical episode where both Zach and Vanessa were recently posted Instagrams outside of East High with nostalgic captions about the High School Musical franchises. And I feel like there could be 
a world in which there are there is a major Zach and Vanessa presence in the fourth season of High School Musical, the musical. That would be so exciting. I will just say, like, how trippy it is that we speculate about whether or not there will be a high school musical reunion. And the answer is yes, in universe. (laughs) Within if it's like, oh, we're gonna make an Avengers movie, but actually the Avengers the new Avengers reunion is actually happening on She-Hulk as an yes. in-movie plotline. But in that movie, it's like Tony Robert Downey Jr. plays Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. It's not a bad comparison because High School Musical, the musical, the series, and She-Hulk are both trying to deploy this very like meta reflection on the universes in which they exist. Yeah. So I do think... God. I don't know. I, again, the press announcement did not specify who would be back, but why would you do a season about High School Musical for the reunion and not be planning to, you know what I mean, bring back some... Zach's going to Skype well, in mean, but... from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Caroline, that that, uh, that that rhetorical question of yours can be answered of why they would not do that, and it's dollar signs, you know, but or, yeah. or Zach's refusal to leave Australia, one or the other. But Yeah, Skyping in would be disappointing, but I just feel like you wouldn't hype it up that much if you were... Because the premise is that they are filming it at their school and the main cast of the show are going to be extras in the fictional fourth movie. And at the same time, they're also putting on High School Musical 3 as their- I think their plan was to put on High School Musical 3, but maybe once they learn that this movie is filming, they- <laughs> What I a mean, weird subplot. Say? Why we not just make it- Jen is going to be doing, Katie. Why not oh, just make it just that the, four, the reunion's happening? What's a weird subplot? Well, my guess is they get there and they're like, yeah, we're going to do High School Musical 3. Oh my God, something crazy is happening and now we're going to just be in the movie. It'll be, it probably is meant to indicate that in the way that the third season of High School Musical, the musical, the series (laughs) was the summer camp theme season that deployed a lot of High School Musical 2 songs. Mm. My guess is this is implying that this fourth season will be deploying a lot of High School Musical 3 songs while having a plot that is about... A reunion of the High School Musical movie. And what more could we ask for, honestly? That shit is insane. <laughs> because they've already had Lucas Grabeel. They've already had Martha Poplock and Jam. They've mm. already had Corbin Blue as a major player on season three. Yeah. So we need a Zach and Vanessa and an Ashley Tisdale and a Taylor. I you bet. Know, we're just missing a couple. And a Kelsey, of course. I, I'd put money Kelsey. on Ashley Tisdale being in. Oh, you, I'm so shocked she hasn't been in yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's she doing? I think she has a YouTube channel. Yeah, (laughs) glad we both knew that. (laughs) Katie and I are ready. Wow, sister, sister. (laughs) So there's excitement on the horizon for Mr. Zach, and there's even more immediate excitement on because, ironically enough, Ned, our podcast is going to go from the greatest showman to. The greatest beer run ever. The greatest beer man. I think this is the first time we've ever had movies back to back that feel as if they are sister movies uh, in in title, if not in plot, (laughs) (laughs) because this is a new sort of Vietnam War like action dramedy coming of age story starring Zach, uh, directed by Peter Fairley. Uh, Most most recently, the director of Green Book. This Mm -hmm. is his follow up to that controversial best picture winning film so really could be anything neither of us have seen the movie yet it comes out uh, in limited theaters but the big release will be on apple tv plus on september 30th so this will be one of our sort of new release Mm -hmm. episodes and zach was just out in in toronto um 
promoting it. I feel like we will have things to discuss about that promotional tour that we can get into in the next episode. But yeah, we're doing a brand new Zach vehicle and sort of trying to figure out where are boys at now? He went back to this musical genre for a little bit, but it feels like he's starting to do something else that involves potentially just being in the desert with gold. Um, <laughs> and we'll figure out what that is. Or being in week. Vietnam with beer. Exactly. Or whatever the case may One be. of the two. Or being Ted Bundy, because that also <laughs> mm, uh, yeah. happened in between. Um, we'll see if we get to the, if I get to watch the Ted Bundy thing in the next uh, two weeks, IDK. Have you seen it? Either of you seen it? I have. I did see it. I, my main memory of it is like no memory, which mm. implies to me it was not a super memorable film. Like I think my memory of it was that it was trying to be somewhat gentle and not exploitative about the serial killer subject matter Mm -hmm. but in that perhaps was just a bit blank did Mm -hmm. you watch it katie i did my takeaway is just kind of like did it need to exist maybe not legit and katie's the true crime expert so Mm -hmm. it doesn't get her (laughs) approval (laughs) because it wasn't true crime it was just a movie (laughs) (laughs) there you go yeah i'll see if i find time to revisit as well and maybe i mean katie has already spoiled it for us but maybe i will watch charlie st cloud in between and finally cross that off the list (laughs) and i was thinking i actually wanted to watch 17 again i was i was watching some clips from 17 again and thinking is this a secret masterpiece and and needs more time so you think i watch 17 again again Uh, yeah exactly (laughs) i'm picking all the low-hanging dumb joke fruit this episode i uh well Fitting for a movie that, in some ways, perhaps <laughs> is doing the same. Does the same. I hope we were able to sum up the absolute uh, unique insanity that is The Greatest Showman. I will definitely be planning on ending this podcast record and re-watching every single performance in the movie because this is what one does with The Greatest Showman. Yeah. So we'll be back next week. But for now, Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. We're at Roll Calling, or you can email us at rollcalling at gmail.com. That's roll spelled R-O-L-E. We'll be back in two weeks with the greatest beer run ever. Until then. Half price for anyone wearing a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.